Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schanklenberg. And uh, good morning. This is Greg Hutchins. Hey, Greg. Hey, got a quick update for you. I don't know if you recall, and maybe I didn't tell you, but my neighbor, uh, house that's right next door to us, um, has been under remodeling for the past three, four months. Uh-huh. And they seem to have been taking their time. I think they used the smallest paintbrushes they could and, you know, yeah. lightest hammers, all those kinds of things. And they were, oftentimes there was hardly anybody there. And I saw the uh, the the uh, contractor that's leading the project and I asked, so how's it going? And he goes, well, we're still waiting for the windows. We ordered windows four months ago and we're expecting them next week. And, and sure enough, this last couple of days, they, they've been putting in new windows all around the house. But it was a four-month lead time for them. And I said, was it on a boat someplace? And he goes, yeah, supply chain. They can't get parts. <laughs> yeah. And where do we start? Um, basically, years ago, the premise for all supply chains was just-in-time delivery. Well, that was that's pretty recent. Wasn't the way back when, wasn't one of the big innovations in supply chains was Ford, where he got his own ore mines, got his own uh, uh, tank or uh, uh, cargo boats to carry the ore. He smelted his own iron. You know, did he made, he had his own forest, right? He did completely vertical supply chain. He owned everything. Still had problems. <laughs> and, you know, the big fancy word for that is vertical integration. Right. And so what happened is about what, 30, 40 years ago, everybody decided, well, gee, we can't be all things to all people. So why don't we supply, why don't we basically uh, uh, you know, find suppliers who are very good at what they do and buy from them? Yeah, everybody's an expert. Let's be, wasn't there, there was a paper or a book that came out that says your core competency, get rid of everything. You know, you don't have to hire your own janitors, hire a company that provides janitorial services and let them be the experts at it uh, kind of thought process. But all the way through is if you're not really good at making dashboards, hire somebody else that makes dashboards and have them put them in your car. Absolutely. So what happened is everybody outsourced and basically hollowed out the manufacturing design, hence the rise of China. But now China is thousands of miles away and we got bottlenecks. Think risks. Yeah. We got <laughs> strikes. Think risks. We got global competition. Think risk. Well, as we're recording this, it was what you probably were tracking the, the railroad strike or potential strike last week because it's kind of an unseen supply chain we got that yeah. moves a lot of material around this country. And I heard one estimate it would have been $2 billion per day of lost revenue uh, just because all the things that would shut down. Yep. And that's one reason why there's this little area that was unknown five years ago called supply chain risk management. Because yeah. mo- most buying, most purchasing, most uh, supply chain was based on price. Now the decision, talking about decision making, is based on supplier risk. Um, you know. Well, that, you know, I think that's been part of it for people that are paying attention is, you know, does the supplier know what they're doing? You know, have they made it before? What's their 
track record? Uh, what, what technical competency do they have? And I've seen others where it's like, how do you actually get your products to customers? <laughs> You know, are we doing this so that it shows up when we want it to show up? And you were mentioning the just-in-time thing. A big risk is if you're a day late, that's a lot of money. Yep. And so now the decision-making is just-in-case. So think about it. If you're going to do just-in-case delivery, just-in-case manufacturing, uh, what does that mean about lean? Because just-in-case implies you're going to have um, stock room. You're going to have backups. You're going to yeah. have other supplies. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have buffer inventories. You're going to have in process inventories. You're going to have all types of stuff, which is going to cost you. And again, that comes down to decision-making risk-based decision-making. Well, the finance guys would argue that it's, it's a, it's a business decision. If the probability or the risk is, I think you like to say, of this, <laughs> of the door handles not showing up, and if for $100,000, we can stock enough door handles to cover us for a couple of days, then it's worth it because we save not having production for a couple of days. I think it becomes a business decision. But when everything's working and the suppliers are producing on time and the supply chain's cranking along like it's supposed to, <laughs> those that storeroom's redundant. It's really not needed. But I think we've optimized our way right out of right out of a, a resilient supply chain, which is the way I like to phrase it. Okay. So it's the same thing as risk. Yeah. And how much risk are you willing to carry in inventory and, or not carry as not carry. Yeah. Yeah. As the case may be. So the big question is if we're moving from just in time to just in case, what does that lean mean for lean manufacturing and lean inventories? Well, at, it's not like it just breaks those systems all together because it's still a process, right? And there's a financial trade-off by carrying inventory or buffering material versus not. But to do that effectively, that still fits underneath the lean type screens. Uh, it's, it's not scrap if it's useful, <laughs> you know, basically is the way I think of it. Now the lean folks in the audience might be ro- you know, rolling in their eyes and everything else is, but it also engenders the the idea of, well, bring your suppliers in-house. Put the person that's m- machining the screws for your custom equipment here, put them, put their equipment right in your building. And, and so their, su- their supply chain distance is, if it's transportation, so that's the problem, then that distance is 10 feet instead of 10,000 miles. So what we're doing, you're, you're saying is, going back to a vertical integration as opposed to a disaggregated business model. Well, there's, it was funny years and years ago, uh-huh. I, I saw I, it was a, a mechanical engineer had on a little poster board, all of the different screws that went into this particular product. And mm-hmm. there are all kinds of different screws and different functions and sheet metal and plastic. And I mean, all kinds of different things they did and purposes of them. And, and her point was, is why are we carrying all this inventory of all these different things? When, if you think about it, we could use other kinds of ways to do this and, and avoid having screws to start with. But then, then they, the person next to him, uh, he took that map that and transposed it onto a map to show the cost of having all of these different parts, because he showed 
the tracing of where these components came from to get to our factory. And there were wholesalers and there was, you know, manufacturing sites and there was raw materials and the raw materials were coming from all over the world. Some of these parts traveled 30,000 miles to get to our factory. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the point was, it's not just how many parts we got. It's all the distance that all these things look at all of the, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but thinking back to it, it's like every one of those pieces of string that were connecting, do, showing a transport uh-huh. is multiple locations that you could get stuck in the Suez Canal. So let let me reframe what you said. Multiple locations getting stuck in the Suez Canal. Those are three identifiers or risk factors. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it's, you know, it's with hindsight that I'm looking at it. And the argument was being made for not the risk that it posed, all the transactions and onloading, offloading, and in all the different vessels and transport systems that were involved. It was... More look at all the carbon, you know, all the fuel we're burning to move this stuff around. And so the, the, between the two of them, they made the argument that said, all right, we, instead of 22 distinctly different screws, let's get down to three. And then about that time, IBM came out with a printer that had one screw because it was legislated. It was regulatory that you had to use a tool to access your, your, um, the insides of an electronics box. And instead of a a fancy polymer latch that you would use a screwdriver to open, they put a screw in it because it was quicker and cheaper. <laughs> well, let's reframe the problem. A screw is a fastener. Are there other types of fasteners that you basically would be faster, cheaper, and better? Oh, yeah. No, and there was all kinds of arguments about, you know, top-down, snap-fit, uh, you know, they pretty much avoided glue whenever they possibly could, because that's a, a, just a mess in manufacturing. But uh, snap fit or creating modules and assemblies that it dramatically improved the manufacturing process, but it also got rid of a bunch of inventory of screws and all of the tools that go with them and the variations and torque and all that stuff. So it, even though it's a very simple fastener, it's it's got lots of variability. And so from a reliability point of view, let's get rid of those. No glue, no screws. And your product, depending on your product, of course, it'd be better. Um, But the idea that supply chains vary is becoming abundantly clear. You know, it used to be the quality teams would look at, remember back in the days of incoming inspection where they actually inspected the components, not just the paperwork? And it looked at it had tons of data about how all the variables that were coming in the door and what we could do about it um and lot acceptance and all those kinds of things that as far as i know is in the textbooks but i haven't seen it in a in a plant in years and years and years uh, i have unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story yeah but the idea is is that the supply chains of of people have optimized they got real good at what they did uh, some better than others, but it 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 stripped out so many pieces of it that one little perturbation in it then just throws it into a, a tailspin. Whether it's a transportation problem or raw material variation or you know whatever, I think people are starting to realize that you can't just order a box of screws and get good ones every time on time. That 
those are two facets of the risk with the supply chain, but there's many others. So I've been listening very intently uh, for the last couple of minutes, Fred. And uh -oh, you... I'm in trouble now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just want to make a simple point. You've used words like vary, variation, optimize, perturbation, and problem. By the way, each one of those are really facets or elements of risk. I'm trying to be precise here. I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> but anytime we have a movement or a variation in something, we have risk. Variation from a target. Yeah. Variation in schedule. Variation in uh, quality. Yep. Each one of those is a risk. Yeah, and there's another one that I find is those are sources of risk, right? Those mm -hmm. then create changes that uh, engineering teams and management teams have to deal with. Now, I think there's another kind of risk is that we we shortchange how we react to that. The mitigation policies, one is they have the parts we really need in stock, which is a change in our, uh, uh, have to build a warehouse basically. Um, I, I've heard in city after city, they're running out of warehouse space. Uh, people just can't find space to store stuff to be their backup, their buffer inventory, um, which is a different problem. But what I was getting at is some people decide, well, why are we holding this up when we could use instead of this grade bolt, we use the next step level down because we know there's a big margin in this, blah, blah, blah. We designed it right. Let's get those. We can get those. And they completely shortchanged the typical design reviews and, and risk assessments of well, what's what happens if we go to this this lesser grade bolt. And I actually had that happen. My splitter, the bolt sheared right off, and they sent because they sent me the wrong, not the in design intense bolts, if I phrase that rightly. The ones they originally wanted to use, but because of the supply chain backups, they got some other ones. Instead of the aircraft-grade ones, they got some other ones, and they lasted about two days. <laughs> so I'm going to try to distill what you're saying. Um, all the words you're using, design reviews, lessons uh, well, you know, lessons learned, mm -hmm. that's risk-based thinking. And essentially... Part of my mantra, and I'm sure I, I, <laughs> I'm a one-trick pony, everything's, especially in VUCA time, everything's going to come down to risk-based problem-solving and decision-making. Yeah. You know, for example, you know, you're talking about how do you mediate or how do you mitigate supply risks. Uh, there's really only four ways. You either accept the sourcing risk, diversify the sourcing risk, uh, share it or you control the sourcing risk. Now, each one of those have many components, but essentially the lens, the filter for decision-making is going to be risk-based. Yeah, if, if it's acceptable, then drive on, right? But you have to have a conscious decision that this risk is acceptable and I'm gonna deal with it. But then the, you know, I frame those as those are the ones that have the low downside. If I run out of bolts that are standard found at Ace Hardware, well, I can go buy them for a couple cents more per and I can get production running because there's local warehouses to do that. But if I'm doing a very customized piece that takes this nine-month lead time, yep, that's a different decision. I can't just get those anywhere. It comes down to deciding how to decide. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people do this. I've seen it in... Uh, 
um, reliability centered maintenance. You kind of go through your equipment and which ones are, what are the critical components in part of that decision depends on your factory, of course, but is what are the key pieces of equipment? You have no other way to do this. And what is the key components on that equipment that have long lead times? Well, you might want to keep a couple of those in stock because, you know, if you're down for nine months because you're missing one component, that's a problem. And so they define what are the unacceptable consequences and then work backwards to say, what are the critical things we need to keep in stock and do maintenance on or do focus on? You can't solve everything. You can't have spares for everything. Well, you can, but it's kind of fruitless. But what are the ones that make a difference? And that's one way to prioritize it. And it's a, a decision-making process from what I understand about risk-centered, reliability-centered maintenance. You, you figure out what's important and you go make decisions to mitigate that. Whereas in product development, every product development process is slightly different and all the constraints are slightly different. So it's a, a bit more, I don't I, I can't say bit more dynamic because <laughs> Working in a factory, I know it's never static, um, but the idea is is that you need to understand what those those range of pieces are, and then how do you decide where are you going to focus? What's the priorities, and how do you make? The, and you see it in product development stuff. They say we're going to focus on time to market, make decisions so that we minimize the chance of delaying the project, mm-hmm. spend more money, do other things, do backups. You know, uh, that that. Uh, but it, it, I see so many people actually focus on how they go about making decisions and, and are successful. Um, it's, I think it's when it doesn't happen, I think, is what you're getting at. That's a, that's a whole other issue. Well, you know, my, you know the, our, uh, <laughs> our podcast right before this was deciding how to decide. Yeah. And part of it was coming up with a compelling story. Your strength, Fred, is just developing these compelling stories. But think about it. Every one of the stories you've shared is really about risk-based decision-making. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, and I remember, <laughs> I remember being sent to a supplier, um, and there was a contamination issue that we were getting. So the parts coming in... Um, were just, just lack of a better term, just dirty. I mean, they're they mm-hmm. had crud on them, and which led to lots of uh, growth of unwanted circuits that on a circuit board, which is not something you want to have the circuit board create its own traces wherever it feels like it at the moment. Uh-huh. Um, usually not good for turning the little lights on in the back. Um, <laughs> and so I got sent out there and. I'm sure I've told you this story. I was, I was in a taxi. I was going out to see this site. I was going to do a walkthrough and, and do some problem solving, see what, what we could do. And the taxi pulled into the loading dock area. And uh, there's a racks and racks of circuit boards mm-hmm. stored. And not in boxes, not in wraps, not anything, just bare on the back dock. And the car pulled in and a cloud of dust because it was a gravel lot covered the circuit boards uh-huh, uh-huh. and i like okay well that problem solved i know where the contamination is coming from because we knew it had to do with basically you know 
granite particles, you know, in all the other attributes that come from in petrochemicals. We had one show. We're like, where in the world are they getting this oil? They got leaky equipment or whatever. And I was like, okay, I see it. Went back to the hotel and flew home and called them from the airport saying, you know, fix your parking lot and don't store your components outside. <laughs> we'll come back. <laughs> and the problem went away. <laughs> you know, it's like with the sub, some suppliers and some supply chains have optimized of doing what the customer wants. I want a thousand components per day. And so they're going to do whatever it takes to get a thousand components a day. This particular group didn't have enough space to have all, make that many. And so they moved them out onto the loading dock and didn't think through the contamination issues because it would work on their final test. It would work when we installed it in products, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't work a week or two weeks later because it takes time for the contamination to, to do its thing once it's energized. And it's like, okay, there's just not thinking this through very well. And so part of this risk-based thinking is that ability to step back I learned this years and years ago is if you make a small change and the supplier tells you, Oh, it's, it's a one for one replacement, right? Why does it cost half as much? <laughs> it's like, there's something different. What is it? Oh, you'll never notice. And of course we do. It's like, okay. So distilling your, again, another great story is thinking this through essentially is deciding how to decide. Mm -hmm. And the second piece is really, seeing this through a list risk lens. Yeah. Instead of saying, you know, what could go wrong, which is people kind of get in certain circumstances that you're seen as a bad news bear, kind of bearer of bad news. Uh -huh. But the, the idea is, is that we, we rarely get anything for free. I mean, there's our occasions where there's efficiencies and prices go down and performance goes up and those are great. I sure like to understand those versus the ones that, cause problems. And so it's, yeah, thinking it through is basically setting up a structure that says, wait a second, what is this impact? What does it vary? What is, what fundamental physics and chemistry is changed or altered here that can impact stuff? And it's the same for the supply chain. If say, oh, we're going to bring it in house. We'll just make it here. Well, mm -hmm. you know, all right. You, did you think that through? <laughs> Where are you going to get the titanium that you need? Do you have anybody that knows about metalworking or, you know, like how many machinists do you need to cut the threads on these things? You know, what, what is it that you're trying to do and ramp up that you've never done before? You've always just bought it. And I think, let's think this through. And so many times, especially supply chain issues in, in what we've seen in the last couple of years is you never knew what was going to be wrong tomorrow. And so it was constantly jumping through hoops to make things work. And we gotten too used to just pivoting and try something different just to stay in business. And I, hopefully that set of lessons allows us to step back and think this through of those four steps you were talking about. How do we go about dealing with these, these risks that we're facing? Yes. But I think the basic idea is, is that Supply chains, 
is just one factor of the risks that we're facing. There's so many different variables in that. And it's uh, part of it. I think what prompted this discussion to start with was, is that, is this going to settle out at all? Well, I think in short summary, no, I think we just need to get better at how do we assess those risks and deal with them. Yeah. And I'd basically leave with a couple, three thoughts. Uh, you are how you think you are how you decide and all risk is going to be personal. Oh, that sounds like a tagline for your book there. That's where I got it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Greg. You know, if you're listening to this and, and I mean, if you've got a good supply chain story, let us know. Um, but I think the basic gist is, is how do you deal with it? What is, what is the, the protocol that you use in your organization to assess what's going to go wrong tomorrow? Um, we've got a lot of practice at figuring it out in hindsight, but how do you get ahead of that? And so that we can actually go home on the weekends kind of thing. Um, let us know, head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And you can find a couple ways to get in touch with us there. Greg and I, and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn or our about pages on Ascendo. So plenty of ways for you to, to relay your stories over to us or ask some questions. We'd be happy to, to field those for you and get them back, get some uh, future topics lined up also. So, uh, thanks all again for, for listening. And Greg, thanks for the quick couple of discussions here. Uh, we, um, and I'm curious of it, my email almost every day says, you know, you, this package is due to be delivered. And then they realize they don't even have it yet and they're going to print the label and then we'll give you an update. Uh-huh. I had one book that got rescheduled 18 times over the last two months. And they oh, and, wow. and then they said, "Congratulations, your book's arriving early." That's only because you delayed it three months. <laughs> you know, <I> like, <laughs> but anyway, um, so it goes. All right. Well, oh, we didn't even mention one other thing. One quick note here is: I saw a, new, a report this morning um, that the the big three ocean f- uh, freight systems haulers, like Maersk and the big shipping containers that move all these containers all around the world, they're getting into aircraft, the air freight business. They're buying aircrafts and staffing up to do that. Okay. So apparently the old boats are just not quick enough anymore. Decision-making again. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be a whole nother topic there. And diversify your risk. But anyway, so yeah. much for a one-trick pony. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.